Hey, hi, sorry to interrupt. I know the podcast's about to start. Um, this is James. I just wanted to put in a little editor's note, apologizing for my audio quality in the upcoming episode. I forgot to switch my mic to the proper input before we started recording. Um, sorry again, virtual recording's hard, so uh, my, my audio feed's going to sound uh, pretty scuffed this episode, but uh, I hope you can bear with me and get through it, because uh, I think this is a really good episode. So, um, yeah, just wanted to take a quick little editor's note to apologize about that. Uh, enjoy the episode. Thank you. This week on the Socratic Cinema Podcast... Let's throw a, uh, let's take Coco, change the culture, and throw a sprinkling of up in there. If you were tr- planning to make a rocket to the moon and you didn't know that F was equal to force, how are you doing any of your physics calculations? Over the moon, a lot of depression. <laughs> Hi, hello. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Socratic Cinema Podcast. My name is James Delicio. I'm Casey Clark. And I'm Charlie Heatherly. And before we start today, I just want to take another chance to say thank you. We've been saying a lot of thanks recently because you guys have been absolutely off the chain with the support we've been receiving on the channel and on the podcast. It's incredible. We've just had this crazy surge of growth and, and new faces popping up over the past couple of days. And we're just beyond grateful for, for everything that's been happening. One of our videos hit over a million views because of you guys, which is just something that is kind of mind-boggling. It, it hasn't quite set in, I think, that something that we put out has, you know, been viewed by a million people. It's, it's very humbling. And so we just wanted to take a minute to thank you again um, from the bottom of our hearts. If you guys have anything to, to add on to that, speak your truth speak my truth well yeah i mean you guys have been absolutely incredible again just to reiterate what james said you guys are the best we never thought that we would ever get a million views on a video let alone however many subscribers we have right now at the time of recording i think we're at like 7.9 or something that's entirely crazy to us so we're so incredibly grateful to be supported by you guys we just really appreciate anything um all all the views all the comments all the interactions it really like makes doing this fun because we want to do stuff for you and we just really appreciate all the like amazing interaction and views that we've been getting back yeah i think casey made a good point about the comments that's absolutely my my favorite part is reading all all the input you guys have and sort of getting to interact with you and have little conversations in the comments it's a lot of fun so if you want to ask us a question in the comments of any video do so absolutely i check our our youtube studio like really probably too often so i'll be like you know uh, we're ready to answer if you guys ever want to chat with us in the comments so just know that we uh, we hear you guys and with that out of the way we also have one other announcement and that's that we have officially a patreon page set up um we figured that, you know, we want to keep making this show better and we want to keep doing this and, and make it as good as we can for you guys. But to do that, we need your support. So if, if you're at all in a position where you can support the show, if you feel like you've gained anything out of it or, or you enjoy us and, and want to see us kind of become even, even, even better, right? Just as good as we can be, uh, please consider supporting us on our Patreon. I think you can find it at patreon.com slash Socratic Cinema. Tiers start as low as $1.00. And I think our most expensive tier is $15 right now. Um, and you'll get access to all sorts of cool benefits, like getting episodes early, uh, behind the scenes content, being able to even vote on what movies we cover next, asking us questions. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff happening over on our Patreon. So, uh, of course, you know, the show's always going to be free. Like, we're, we're never going to put it behind paywalls or anything. But this is just sort of if you are in a position where you can and you feel like 
uh, if you feel that calling to support us in any way, you know, no matter how big or small, check out our Patreon. But with that out of the way, let's get into the podcast here. That's I think that's all of our general announcements for the day. But today we are talking about Over the Moon, the new Netflix animated movie directed by Glenn Keane, starring Kathy Ang Ong, I'm not sure, Robert G. Chu, and Philippa Sue. So yeah, let's get into it, fellas and ladies. What do we think of Over the Moon? <laughs> I'll let Casey go first. Okay, so initial thoughts. Let's see. Um, it's obviously a movie made for children. Um, but I always find it interesting where it's like, this is a kid's movie, but like the main theme is dealing with grief, um, which is honestly good that they're adding like heavier themes to kids movies because kids do go through grief. They go through loss. They go through all that stuff. And, um, I, I put it about mid tier, uh, in the kids' movies that I've seen, it wasn't as annoying as I thought it was going to be. It was very well done. The animation was amazing. Um, the transitions, 10 out of 10. I loved the transitions in this movie. Very creative, I think. Um, out of 10, maybe a 7? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. All right, for sure. Uh, I think we're going to leave Charlie for last today, because I know Whoa, he's, he's got okay. some feelings. I know you've got some feelings. <laughs> I have tons of emotions, And yes. I want to just let that kind of stew for a little bit. Um, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm with Casey. I, I, I enjoyed Over the Moon. I think it was very uh, sweet. It was cute. It wasn't anything crazy original. It, a, a lot of familiar plot beats. It sort of reminded me of kind of Coco, but with a different cultural aesthetic laid over it, if that makes sense. It, it felt a lot like a, a lot of the modern Pixar movies did, but just kind of not as not as creative, maybe a little bit more run-of-the-mill. Um, I thought the songs were really fun. Some of them. There were a couple that I was like, eh. But I thought overall, <laughs> I, I really liked the songs. I think the movie was very stylish. I thought it was very aesthetically pleasing to watch. Um, I, I really liked the aesthetic of the whole movie, and the animation was very, very fluid. Um, yeah, so overall, I, I enjoyed Over the Moon. I don't think it, it would be in, like, my top five animated films of all time or anything. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse is going to be number one, baby. But, yeah, I enjoyed Over the Moon. I think out of ten, I, I probably would give it something like a, uh, a six and a half or a seven. Uh, it was... It was it gets a passing grade, absolutely. I don't think that's a question, but um, I think there's some some st good stuff to dig into uh, with Over the Moon. But Charlie, what did you think about Over the Moon? This movie is a five on a good day. Look, <laughs> in a word, Over the Moon is disappointing. All right, Ooh. I I will agree. I think that this movie technically is a marvel. I mean, just looking at all of the reflections that they did on this girl's uh, puffer jacket, like wherever she went, it, it's phenomenal. The way that they did all their lighting. All of the animation is super clean cut. I think all of the 3D artists also did a phenomenal job. And I think there's a lot of creative uh, visual animated sequences. My problem with it is it takes all of this potential that you carry with a story like Chunga and like this. this uh... Actually, do we know the nationality of this girl? Is she Chinese? Yeah. I, I believe so. so. 
Okay, we're gonna assume that she's Chinese. It for, takes place for, in. It does take place in in China, I believe, doesn't it? Well, that was my question. They never explicitly said, but oh. sure. So, so it takes the story of this Chinese girl sort of reconciling with her own mythology, her, her own heritage, going to the moon to meet one of her legendary idols, Chunga, and then. At the moon, we get an uninspired Lunaria kingdom of just these weird geometric light-up houses. I'm looking at them right now. It's like it's like they're these weird, opaque, neon bubbles. The, the entire design of Lunaria feels very uninspired to me, and I think a lot of the inhabitants of it do as well. Like, there's these weird bunny bikers that are there for some reason. Oh, and the like, bikers are Biker chicks. They were birds. Oh, there were birds? Oh, you see, like, they were so nebulous that I forgot entirely what they were. <laughs> it looked like Angry Birds characters. I, <laughs> they that, did. They that did. Like, a, maybe that was an Easter egg, but they totally looked like Angry Birds. A hundred percent, but it, it just feels like half of this movie had very uninspired design, or at least they didn't carefully consider it, and they took a lot of the just raw potential with the technical work that they did and sort of just wasted it on the more creative side. I think the pacing of this movie is also really, really strange. Uh, and for instance, like something like the leapfrog scene with the giant moon frogs, that just sort of gets resolved in like less than a minute. Like, oh no, there's giant frogs jumping. Oh wait, I remember how to play the very popular game of leapfrog. And then the, the girl jumps on top of the frogs and then suddenly that whole sequence is, is resolved. Or when they did the ping pong fight scene, but then nothing ends up happening. Like it's just completely worthless. That bothered me too, because but I mean, like, because the scene in itself was very fun and, and yeah. Like, but then it's like, oh, that didn't matter. Nothing has changed from the start of the scene to the end. You know exactly. This is my point. They have beautiful animation and scenes, and then they just sort of fumble the ball with how they're supposed to be executing the story of it. So really, I think that Over the Moon could have been something great, but they just didn't have the vision to really finish it. And also, I've heard a lot of complaints about how th this is like a Disney movie and how the mother dies very quickly. And I get that. I, I understand that. I was really peeved off as well. But I think that this takes an interesting take on the whole mother dying thing with this uh, new stepmom that's coming in and that whole story. But I, I don't know. I just, th th there were like two scenes where I felt emotions, but for the rest of it, I was just like, this is a neon colored mess that I have no idea where it's going. So yeah, yes. I did not enjoy it. That's fair. I, I, it feels definitely contrived. Like everything I've seen here, I've seen before. Especially, I think you're super right about the aesthetic of the Moon Kingdom. It, it's, it's definitely not like original. Like I said, it feels a lot like Coco. Like let's have this yeah. mythical land just be vibrant colors and mythical creatures. And, and I mean, obviously Coco's a lot more, you know, detailed and, and pleasing. But this just feels sort of like they went, hey. Coco's a, a pretty good movie. That, that let's throw us uh, let's take Coco, change the culture, and throw a sprinkling of up in there, and we have our movie. Oh man! Well, and, and then here's the other problem with that because I entirely agree with you, but I think what Coco does really really well in the Land of the Dead is it creates its sort of own. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like canon around what happens in there. Like, they have all these new characters that you're introduced to that are each individual and unique. There's You see all these cultural practices that they're going through, like all these music competitions, you know, how the different class structures are laid out. Like, there's a lot of hidden world building in Coco. But then you sure. get to Over the Moon. Uh, I guess Chunga uh, uh, really likes singing. That's cool. Everyone loves her. And then everyone lives in, in, in Pop Rocks. Like, that's you know it. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it reminds me of kind of like, 
Wreck-It Ralph 2, like the internet world thing. It's just kind of mm. like bright colors and it kind of has this pop motif going. And I mean, it, like, it's a nice contrast from kind of the more tradition, family-centric, like, China Earth that we have. And I also do, like, from a visual standpoint, seeing the bright colors clash with the gray moon, like, is nice when I fir- when you first see Lunaria. Like, that was uh, pretty cool to me. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, a- after, like, once the shock kind of wears off, after, like, three minutes, you sort of feel that you're just in any other brightly colored kids movie at that point. And, you know... I think it, 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 like Casey said, it is a children's movie, but that's no excuse. You can't escape our cold hard analysis on the Socratic cinema show. <laughs> Nothing is safe. <laughs> I feel like there are certain ways that they could have made it more interesting. I definitely agree with Charlie that it is somewhat of a uh, accumulation of a whole bunch of other watered down kind of stories um like i remember watching of uh, the what was it the opening where we kind of meet and get introduced to gobi and in my head i was like this is just ola you know true. like I was so like, true and that was my like initial um like main connection of like okay this is a bit <laughs> we're yeah. we're uh going into some other places here and even the color scheme kind of reminded me of inside out a little bit oh so true i i feel like this and from what i've seen in the soul trailers this feels like identical to how soul looks yeah yes and i mean honestly considering it can come down to something as simple as look at inside out look how good it turned out we can do that with our own like story whether it's good or not and then put it out i before i get into the stuff that i necessarily had a problem with i just want to like say uh congratulations to this movie because what they did was have a majority asian cast and that's something that you should acknowledge and congratulate because that's not happening as much as it should so um I just yeah, wanted to call that out for, you know, just a hot minute. Yeah, yeah especially not in like, mm-hmm. especially not in animated films. I mean, I feel like the last really like Asian centric children's film we had was, um, I mean, Mulan. I don't, I don't really know. Has there been? Uh, oh, Kubo. I, oh no, oh, they're Kubo? white people in Kubo. Never mind. Well, no, but I mean, you know what? I, like, it's still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I guess you could. I don't know. Well, the dumpling short, the 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 oh, bow. bow, bow. I love you, bow. I mean, didn't we love bow? But no Big one Heroes... really talked. The oh two. yeah, Big Hero Six. Big Hero Six. So that's kind of like a melting pot, but there's definitely a lot. I yeah. mean, it's like it's that's like a. San, I remember the city's like San Fran, Tokyo, or something. It's like Tokyo. oh yeah, that was awesome. I Shout love out Big movie. Hero Six. No, seriously, I love Big Hero Six. That is one of my favorite animated movies. That was like a a core memory, you know. And it's like <laughs> you have the core memories. Yeah, Yeah, but I I think I also, like, would kind of rather sing the praises of this movie before we tear it apart, just so we don't get too Debbie Downer. Uh, I want to say, the music in this movie was, I was very, very impressed with the songs. And there was a lot of musical moments. There was, like, three times in this movie that, for whatever reason, I was just like, I don't cry in movies, but I get, like, I get these hits where I'm just like, 
Gotta take a second. Gotta 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 fan my eyes a little bit. I'd be crying. I don't care. I <laughs> at yeah. this point. I don't know, man. I just I just can't. Like I I get like three quarters, but I can never get all the way there. <laughs> <laughs> but like that first song, I was a really really big fan of that. The first the moon the magic in these mooncakes song. You know. Oh yes. I really like. I that. agree. Uh, that was very fun, and I thought they did a good job at showing the progression of the mom's illness, like. Her, her face kind of gets really thin and, and just little details that they don't explicitly state. Like, the dad's not like, dear, your face is looking awful. Like, it just kind of leaves it up to, you know, it's subtle storytelling like that. Uh, and then also on that, like, final verse after the mom's passed and uh, Fei Fei's like, there are memories in these mooncakes. Oof, I was that, that one. That one. That, that, that one almost got me, man. I'm not gonna, because I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. it. And it's, it's like, I have a love hate relationship with the the, the songs in this movie, because I feel like a lot of them, like uh, the the Mooncakes one, and also Fly Away, uh, are like so 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 good. And like the Fly Away reprise right before she goes to the moon was so good. Like actually so good i can't stress it enough um but then there's other parts like i didn't really like changa's songs very much uh, maybe that's just because i don't like the the whole uh i'm not a huge fan of like poppy I, I, what genre did changa's songs you know like that, yeah pop. it was definitely pop it gave me kind of zootopia like yeah. the shakira character it gave yeah. me that i feel like songs you do on like beat saber you know charlie <laughs> like uh <laughs> Which is why I loved it so much. Ultra Luminary in Absolute Bop. Like, Ultra Luminary and the Ping Pong game song. I think that one's called Hey Boy. Those ones I was just kind of like, as much as I love Philippa Sue and she's great, uh, it was just like, eh, I don't like these ones as much. It, I think it's just because they're not traditional, like, show tunes. And I like, you know, musicals, so... Appearance. That, that might be it, yeah. But, it. but also, like... One of those weird ones. One Ooh. of those weirdos. <laughs> But also, like, uh, sometimes the lyrics and the musical, like, devices hit really hard. Like, the memories in the mooncakes or the flyaway reprise when she's flying to the moon. Sometimes they were really great. But then other times, the lyrics were just so <gasps> uninspired and okay. surface level. There's literally when, okay, at the end of the movie, when Changa is, like, singing to Feifei about how she needs to move on, like, there is no subtlety at all. There's literally a line that's like, it's hard to move on when a loved one dies. I wrote it down because I was like, seriously? Like, there was no <laughs> way you could have dressed that up. Like, that's the core theme, and you're just going to, like, just say it. You, It just kind of disappointed me. So, hold on, because what you said about the lyrics is entirely true. I don't think that they understand anything about science when they wrote this movie, despite their, their main character being like... A, a, a girl in STEM. She's a woman in STEM is her whole character trait in the Please. first three minutes. Well, well literally, so this is the problem. <laughs> there are tons of, of women in STEM that I talk to who are like, we're so tired of this women in STEM thing. Can we just... We're just women. We're just women doing computer stuff, right? And I feel like that they did a very bad job of portraying, like, what competent women in STEM look like with this character. I'm looking through uh, flying, or the, the rocket to the moon there is a line about the equation for for what she's doing, uh, where it's like force and gravity. I can't find the specific line, but let me paraphrase. Basically, she's like, F, 
That stands for force. And G is always gravity. If you were planning to make a rocket to the moon and you didn't know that F was equal to force, how are you doing any of your physics calculations? She showed a problem that I didn't like like pre-AP physics. Like, this is not difficult stuff. All you have to do is look at what the variable is equal to. And she was like, oh my God, it makes sense now. I can now build a rocket ship because I know that force is equal to F. What are you talking about? She's She's 12. 12. She can read. She's literate. Literally, she has two brain cells. Anybody could be like, oh, maybe F does equal to force. That was my problem the entire time. What did she think it was before? What did she think it was before? Fluorine? Fanta? She was just drinking soda the entire time? Like, how how do you write? It's just, they keep bungling up their central things. This girl was supposed to be competent in science, and then literally she doesn't even know what force stands for, or what F and force stands for. I, I I agree. That's that fair. that that scene very much as much as I enjoy stuff like where it all comes together, it was very much just like technical jargon. You, you know the whole like the Incorrect you know technical the, jargon. You know the techno speak trope where it's just like have the, the flux capacitator is, is about it was a, it, it felt kinda like that. Like let's just have her say science terms and but it makes sense to her, I guess. But yeah, it's sort of I, I didn't quite get what her breakthrough was. Like she saw the rocket ship mock-up go on its side, and then suddenly that led her to like uncovering new equations. I just I yeah, look, a lot of the I think a lot of the plot points in this movie are big stretches. Um like just straight up, I didn't get the whole her, her logic from going from Baba doesn't believe in Chang'e anymore. If I can get him to believe in Chang'e, he's not going to get remarried. I just felt like a, 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 a stretch to me, you know? And I guess they did explain it, where, you know, it's like, oh, Chang'e can wait for her true love forever, why can't that? And that, I thought, was really good when they phrased it that way. But they didn't for a really long time. It just sort of felt like... You had to somehow put the pieces together on your own. Why dad believing in Santa Claus at all relates to him, you know, getting remarried, right? It's like, it it sort of felt like those Christmas movies, you know, where it's like, if I can just get my parents to believe, the family will be saved, you know? I don't know. That bothered me, but maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm just slow, but that was not like. For me, I don't know if it's maybe like, because I've dealt with a whole bunch of um like oh the traumatized child but in those types of movies we have a lot of stability projection where they never really come out and say it but the whole chang a story was the main thing that was connecting her to her mom which is why she hyper like fixated on it to the point where she thought she could like fix her father's uh whatever moving on getting remarried like of course from a kid's perspective, I guess that makes sense. But from our perspective, it's like that doesn't connect at all. But as we see kind of um, that wall of I need to do this, I need to make my father like believe. I believe after um, it comes like during the whole like darkness scene, I think, where the wall kind of of delusion that this is going to work, seeing that Chang'e 
and Hoi like didn't last forever. Like yeah. I feel like that was also another kind of breaking to be like, oh, I I can't fix this. You know, like I'm going to have to move on. Which of course they said flat out in the song. But I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's more like it's more of the like common stability projection yeah yeah and like by the end of the movie it makes sense but just going into the rising action it, it kind of feels like we're not quite sure why we're doing this you know and it just feels like i wish they would have leaned into the not wanting dad to get remarried thing harder because it sort of in the first act it felt unclear whether they were trying to pin her motivation on believing in Chang'e or not wanting dad to get remarried like the dinner the scene where she gets frustrated over dinner was not because her dad was getting remarried. It was because none of her relatives believed in Chang'e. I was like, I just, I just feel like it would have been more effective if her, you know, kind of emotional catalyst was, you know, having to do with dad getting remarried rather than Chang'e. And I, again, like, by the end of the movie, you sort of figure out that those things are linked. But in the beginning, I feel like you really need to make sure that your character's motivations are strong and relevant to the theme and not just, you know, believe in Chang'e. It, it's sure. just like a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah, and then the MacGuffin in this movie, which is like the picture of Chang'e, see, or actually I suppose that that's the reward and the MacGuffin is the... Wait, what's the what's MacGuffin? So so what a MacGuffin is, is it's essentially a plot device. Like, it's it's an object that drives the plot. So I I misstated what the MacGuffin is. The MacGuffin in this movie is uh, the gift, uh, right. and then the picture is the reward. So but my would go ahead. like uh, would like um, the dagger thing in the ninth in in, in uh, Rise of Skywalker is that a MacGuffin? Yep. Okay, I just want to like make sure I have it right. Or like um, the I'm trying to think of another MacGuffin. I can't think of another the the Ark in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anything music box and Anastasia. Oh my gosh, don't even bring it up. <laughs> Any object that drives the plot forward, it's a very broad definition. Uh, and then some people say that there's a, a secondary thing where it's like a key to power, which is something like, uh, I think it's the uh, spear thing in Atlantis, whatever the, the, oh, the trident in, uh, in Aquaman. I haven't seen It's like Aquaman. a key to power. I don't know the the subtle differences, but really, you know, for the sake of what I'm using, just anything that drives the plot forward, uh, which is not the picture. The picture, I feel like, is a very weak motivation. Like, it seems like a very sort of thing to give back to her dad and be like, look, this is why you should still love my dead mom. <laughs> yeah, it's like, here's a picture of me with what could be any woman dressed in traditional makeup. Right? <laughs> like... It it doesn't feel like it does much to motivate me as a viewer to be like, yeah, go get him, Fei Fei. You're you're doing this for all the right reasons. And you're gonna get that picture and you're gonna show your dad. Because I, I just have no reason to really root for her this entire movie. And I feel like yeah. trying to structure the plot around her getting something when I'm not invested in, in her motivations feels really weird. Like, I think you're right, James. They should have centered the conflict of this movie around that emotional story and not obscured it with an additional layer of plot uh, yeah i think that's my main problem is it's like you kind of had to it felt like you had to get through this weird side mission about believing in Chang'e and having adventures on the moon to get to what the movie's actually supposed to be about you know which is fine 
because it's a children's movie, but for anyone who's not a child, it's a little frustrating to be like, what, what, why are we actually doing any of this? I don't, I don't quite follow. I will say though, I, I didn't like Chang'e's songs, but I really liked Chang'e uh, as a character and as a, a, a ready, as a foil to Feifei. Oh. Um, I thought that was really good seeing how both of them like sort of process grief in opposite ways. Feifei like, but but also kind of the same. Feifei pushes uh, everybody away and kind of goes hermit recluse mode and, and doesn't really want anything to change. Whereas Chang'e responds to her grief by becoming this extravagant outward uh, you know, extroverted pop star queen. It's almost like Feifei grieves inward, but Chang'e grieves outward. And, and it was really a good foil. And the reason it works so well also is because these two are sort of pitted against each other for most of the movie. It's like, the, the, the thing that makes foils work well is when their motivations are so very, like, they're the same motivation, but just different enough that it causes conflict. It's like that saying where the traits you dislike most in someone else are your are the traits you have yourself. It's mm. it's exactly like that. And I so I just I was a big fan of of Chang'e and Fei Fei's kind of dynamic. I thought that was pretty well done. Uh, good good foil. You know I love me some foils as uh, as y'all know. But yeah, I I just wanted to point out that I do think they did Fei Fei and Chang'e well. I don't know what do you what do you think? Was Chang'e was she was there an antagonist? Was Chang'e the bad guy? Yes. Yeah, she was, I'd say, the antagonist, right? She's the primary force against the main character for most of the movie. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I don't know. How do, what do we think of Chaga as, as an antagonist? I honestly, I liked, as you were saying, like, her as a character. But originally, I thought it was kind of going to go down the route of the evil queen from um, uh, Candace versus the universe, where, like, she ends up being this whole different person than what Feifei was kind of like imagining and I don't know if that would have made the movie better but I definitely think it would have made it interesting uh, more interesting but as the antagonist I don't really think she did anything I'm like other than maybe like locking up Chin no yeah and she was just like incentivizing something that she wanted like i guess her main antagonist trait is like selfishness yeah and it's an antagonist doesn't always mean evil right antagonist is just opposite to the protagonist right yeah so, yeah so she's definitely not like a she's not the bad guy and i'm glad they didn't make her evil because i feel like that is that gives the movie a little bit more nuance than anything right if if, if there was a big twist at the villain and and you know Chang'e's evil at the end, or Gobi turns bad. Like, I feel like that would have just... Oh, God. That would have been, <laughs> like, really contrived. You know, then we would be having a Pixar movie on our hands. But <laughs> I, I'm glad they that, that Chang'e was not... Like, she was the antagonist, but she wasn't the villain. Because uh, those are different, for sure. And her motives are pretty sound, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, she, like, had good, she had a good arc, I think. I yeah. love how she was like, I've spent this entire movie trying to get Ho Yi back, and here he is. I'm gonna sing to him, and then she's, it, it, and then he embraces her and is like, Nah, fam, and then oh, just evaporates. That really hurt. Yeah, but and he just said, good. I'm gonna go corporeal. But that was a good scene. Like that was, that's that's just the kind of subversion of expectation you need. And I, if you know what the movie's about going in, you can kind of see it coming that it's not gonna work. But that's great. Honestly, what I was hoping for was an even bigger subversion of expectations when uh, 
when Gobi and Feifei are sitting on the... Or they think they've lost the gift because the doll blew up. That was sort of the red hair... Herring? Mm-hmm. Red hair, I almost said red heron. But they we're talking about all sorts of plot devices. We got a guffin, we got a red herring, we got a key to power, we got a foil. We're doing we're hitting our academic milestones. But but when when Gobi and Feifei were having this conversation of, about um like, oh well we lost the gift, but blah blah blah, you need to move on because you know you're wonderful and there's new opportunities ahead. I was kinda hoping that it would just kinda like that would be it. Like there's no gift, like there's no magic gift that's gonna make this better. Like there's no, there is no magic third act. You just kind of have to cope. And I, I, I think I thought if they went that direction, that would have been like something. But I guess it would kind of invalidate the last hour and a half of the movie. But I don't know. I was just kind of hoping for like a bolder take than what they wound up going with. I guess in the end though, the gift didn't really matter. So I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. Because if the whole movie was literally as simple as find the gift save the day that would have been that would have been really bad so at least they didn't do that you know very true uh going back to ho yi for a second why did he say that you have to move on because she hasn't moved on yeah close your baby well but yeah but he was about to be with her so why was he like nah wait yeah well wait a minute what's the reason it was the (laughs) like this is my exact question he he's about to be with her and then he's like no you have to move on and then she's like oh what dude i thought our entire thing was like you wanted to be together and i was working really hard was he all the way there he looked kind of ghosty i think i was just I, like a, i have no clue if he was a little ghosty i would like a little bit more explanation because it just seems like if she was trying to bring him back and she thought that bringing him back would be like physically bringing him back then it it just feels a little weird as me for a viewer when he gets brought back as a ghost and then I have to interpret that because he's a ghost, they can't be together, so then he has to tell her to move on. But then why would she even bring him back as a ghost then if she knew that that was what was going to happen? Yeah, and like, the, uh, go ahead. I'm going to get think... you angry. <laughs> okay, so how I interpreted it was that essentially like Chung Ah like didn't, know exactly on what terms she would be bringing Hoi back on because she seemed really just rocked that he wasn't like she got one hug and and that was it Mm -hmm. um and so I don't think she would have even gone through all the trouble if she had known that that was if he wasn't going to be there forever but I really think that it comes down to the theme of like reconciliation and closure with the people that you've lost because we never really get to know whether or not like Fei Fei got the reconciliation and the closure with her mom and if we're going on like the whole um foil train like giving um Chang'a this like closure with her love that's been her motivation after being like the big darkness like when she went into depression i don't know i mean i'll give that they could have explained it better that there's a lot of things where it's like it happened yeah moving on the the thing with this movie it's like all right i guess that happened i think we can totally apply a five stages of grief theory to this like super super easily totally easily totally right denial on both ends, ready? Let's do this for both ends of the foil. 
join me, and let's see if we can get this to work. Okay. All right, we'll start with Chang'e, because I feel like that one's easier. Stage one is denial, right? That's pretty clear to see. I mean, just the whole fact that she's trying to bring him back is denial enough, all right? Mm-hmm. Boom, moving on. What's the second one? Anger. She gets mad when Fei-Fei doesn't have the gift, and so that upsets her plans when she's sort of confronted with the reality that Fei-Fei doesn't have the gift. That's anger. Mm-hmm. Bang. Uh, I think after that's bargaining, right? Oh, I'm going to incentivize. Go send my people out to find the gift. And if you bring it back in time, I'll give you this so I can have my loved one back, right? That's a bargain. Mm-hmm. Stage four, yeah. depression. When the bargain doesn't work, she goes into the, what's it called? The chamber of exquisite sadness or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have zero that clue. Is... No, yeah, it was, was the good. chamber of exquisite sadness. That was good. That was good. I like that. Boom. That's depression. Like, straight up. That's literally just depression. And then at the end of the movie, we have acceptance. Easy. Great. I don't know if it's going to be as easy for Fei-Fei, but let's try it, alright? Well, so so real quick, I, I just want to say that we flipped depression and bargaining. I thought depression was the it's fourth anger, thing. bargaining, depression, then acceptance. It's denial, anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance. What? I'm looking at Healthline. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the game theory video where he did this to Majora's Mask. I'm looking at Psycom.net. Hold on. Let Stages me be the of grief, general patterns for breakups, divorce. Hold on. I'm gonna be the tiebreaker. I'm gonna be the tiebreaker. Top result on Google Class uh, on Google Images, not Classroom. The Kubler Ross grief cycle: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Woohoo! Get. Charlie, you're getting dunked on right now. You're wrong. <laughs> what? I I was it's, right. It's, it's bargaining right. then depression. Oh. Kubler Ross, man, get you uh, get your study up. Damn, Psycom.net need to. I know Psycom.net game is lacking, but Fei too, right? <laughs> denial. Uh, Chang'e's real. Dad, don't get remarried. That's like that's denial. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Anger comes when she's mad that dad's getting remarried and she's like it's like chin you'll never be my brother i hate you yeah uh Aww, bargaining rip chin yeah rip chin i really like chin I, 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 bargaining I bargaining say... is the whole i'm gonna get the picture thing yeah oh that's kind of a bargain yeah yeah it's for entirely sure. a bargain if i get this picture then you have to remember not, not get remarried yeah, yeah. Don't I, I, get I, remarried depression she also goes into the chamber of exquisite sadness and also when she doesn't get the gift that's depression there's a lot of depression for <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of depression over the moon a lot period. of depression yeah, period a lot there's, of a, depression. there's a lot of depression uh and acceptance right same as Chang'e. they both get acceptance and, and they have to move on um bam kubler ross over the moon confirmed that's like i feel like the five that there's two things you can apply to every movie the five stages of grief theory the seven deadly sins yeah okay this yeah this is this is the holy grail of film theories that are vague enough to apply to anything okay wait should we try for seven deadly sins right now oh, oh my god gosh. wait so there's seven deadly sins five stages of grief and the hero's journey is like yes you can apply those to just about anything I don't know. Can we I don't think we could do Seven Deadly Sins for this movie. I don't know where I'd fit Lust in, if we're being real. Or Gluttony. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a little tough. I guess, uh... I don't know. Wasn't there a Spongebob Seven Deadly Sins theory that was pretty popular for a while? Yes, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Literally, oh my gosh, I hate, like... Why do people do this to kids' movies? We, we, we're As gonna we... touch on this next week. 
as we literally oh yeah i forgot we're, we're we started kind of getting wonky recording out of order the weekly schedule is throwing us off man but yeah so next week's episode is was recorded in the past we're getting some time travel going on here great dog Whoa. brown i know Whoa. holy doctor who um <laughs> yeah can we talk about um Gobi? yeah do we really have bad. to yeah, really bad. I'm sorry. I don't really understand bad. why they keep giving great comedians like Ken Jeong roles where they can just like flounder. It just seems like they throw him in the booth and are like, be funny. And then Absolutely. he has nothing to go off of. It's like, super bad. It's ridiculous yeah. to me. Like, give your characters some act or give your actors some actual stuff to do. And his you know? design is the most uninspired thing I've ever seen. Like the rest of Lunaria. Smooth green anthropomorphic animal thing it's like and then what? when he shows emotions he gets like scaly yeah it's like what even is he a hedgehog but he that also would... has a really long tongue but he you know what he is scales. is he an armadillo you know what he is he's a ploy to sell toys and i want to talk about it <laughs> oh my gosh you're so right and you should say <laughs> the it. way that because i got it from Gobi and i got it from the bunny which we realized that the bunny literally didn't need to be there because she stayed at the end of the movie. Anyways, yeah, that's besides the, the point. Well, I, did, I feel like that little arc between the bunny and the jade rabbit was just super distracting. Like, I, yeah. It's like just so Pointless. outside of anything else that was relevant. Like it didn't need to be there. Well, I guess Feifei has to accept the, the loss of her... Uh, dad not loving her dead mother, and then also the loss of her bunny, apparently, oh, who got snatched yeah, up by the Jade Rabbit. That her mother gave she her. learned how to cope, and she's letting everything go now. <laughs> she I, know. Like, I don't care what you do. Like, I'll I don't care. Does this spark joy? Nah. <laughs> oh my god. It's like, I'm cleansing my life, actually. Bungie, stay with your Jade Rabbit. Whatever. But yeah, they just, they're definitely just trying to sell toys. To be honest, like, with if we look at, like, the character design, as much as the movie is, like, beautiful, and we've already talked about that, I also, quick side note, the fluid of motion, especially with the fabric that they did, chef's kiss. But back to the, um, back to the toys. I, I swear, and I don't even know wh what they were expecting necessarily like this is a netflix original right Does like it's not toys i'm googling over the moon goby toy mattel literally has goby dolls see see look oh at this what it is it's, it's an ad it's an ad plus plot like once we get into the like moon uh like moon realm like that second half of the movie i'm just seeing left and right like we didn't necessarily need the lions i appreciate the little detail because that's a cultural detail but literally toys the bird the biker chicks toys there, there are like, so many toys there's a goby doll there's a jade bunny doll there's a bungee doll there's a changa doll um i like the description for the goby doll he's made with soft teal fur and is the perfect size for snuggles or take a long play uh goby's netflix over the moon's goby is always looking for cuddles and friendship Makes a great gift for kids. Oh, is he looking for warm hugs too? Hug. Give, oh, <laughs> dang. Hey, give me a Gobi plush for Christmas, guys. Can we do a Socratic Secret Santa? Secret With Santa. All three of us. Just the three of us. <laughs> Wait, the viewers We've can do it too. <laughs> Yo.
Everyone draw yeah. a name. Everyone draw a name. <laughs> straight past the hat around. Alright, uh, I also, I want to talk about Chin before we leave today. Because I really liked Chin. I expected to really not like Chin, but he wound up kind of being, like, a real one, you know? Yeah, a I, real one. I was expecting the no barriers thing to work, like, as soon as they got to the moon for some reason. But uh, I thought that was, like, kind of cute. It was fine. And I think, like, the part where uh, Feifei kind of realizes that, the like, how she's been able to overcome all these things is through the stuff she learned from Chin. Like, that was sweet to me. I, I thought that was good. And I also like sort of how he's sort of like the key, kind of. Chin is the key to power, uh, to me. L- like, yes. in that in that final song, uh, or the song where Chang'e is, like, consoling uh, Feifei in the Chamber of Exquisite Sadness, um, Chang'e is talking about, like, the solution to, to, to moving on is, is just to, like, to, to give out love. Like, just to love other people as much as you can. Um, and I, I do want to say I appreciate that this movie actually gives a, 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 a solution. I feel like a lot of kids' movies be like, you have to move, you have to grieve, you have to move on. But they never say how. It's always just like, yeah. it's like, great, I know I have to, what do I do now? And, and so I appreciate that this movie was like, no, like, you have to move on. And you do that by, through unconditional love, basically. And I thought that was a really powerful message. And it honestly is true. And I and I, I think that Chin is a really good like Chin is kind of the example of that unconditional love and how it can you know help someone move on like throughout this whole movie you know grieving Fei Fei has been pushing away Chin just dunking on him this entire movie and and, <laughs> and despite that Chin you know keeps coming back and and puts himself in harm's way for this person who's not even his sister yet. And just this this sort of pure love that Chin gives out is enough to to break through the barrier of grief, right? The no barriers thing, and and sort of bring Fei Fei back, and she can sort of begin to cope and move on. And so I I really thought Chin's sort of arc in the movie, and not even an arc, but just Chin's like role in the plot, I thought was really really good. I I was a very big fan of that. So I agree with you. But I think that oh, no. Chin's whole no barriers thing makes <laughs> oh, zero sense. Think about it metaphorically. There is no reason why Chin, before going to Chunga's thing, would have this no barrier superpower. Think about it. Why would he, why would he have he, that? He's a child. I know. It makes no sense. no child bangs into walls and is like, I can phase through all the walls. Charlie, That's not how that works. You have not Charlie, please, please tell me you're not nitpicking this. I, seriously. There there is nothing related to his character that would make him be like that. Charlie, he's, he's not a no barrier kind of guy. Let me explain it to you. It's a setup for when eventually he's And I'm able saying to- it's a contrived setup. I know what you're saying, that he has the no barriers thing so that he can break through the barrier at the end. Yeah. They built it backwards, and they didn't give him a great enough reason to have it in the first place. Oh That's gosh. what I'm saying. I, I'm I don't, saying it. I don't. I, I, I'm simply just going to disagree with you on this point. I feel like what barriers does he break as a character besides the emotional one at the end? Oh, besides the one that matters. Besides the only one that thematically matters. This is know. before Chang'un's palace. He he has no reason to have this character trait beforehand, and then he he has it solely for the end of the movie. I don't think that they built that device well. I think they could have integrated it with a better character. If anyone's breaking barriers before they go to Ch- uh, uh, Chang'e's palace, it's the girl. 
It's and that's the, the point, Charlie. The point is that before they've started their journey, Chin is unable to break the barriers. He smacks into the wall. He deflects off of Feifei. He can't break this barrier yet. But mm-hmm. over the course of their journey, he's able to, through the experiences they both have and the magic of plot development, he's able to break through. This is my point. <laughs> the magic of plot development oh is what makes this work, James. How do you think movies are made? How do you think anyone writes a movie? What major emotional... He, he was always supportive of Feifei. This is what always happens. Yes, and he, Feifei he was always learned loving. to accept it. So then he had to have this external development for him to finally be able to break barriers through. It's not an internal development for him. He's not a character who develops. He's a static character. It's Feifei who changes. Well, so then it doesn't make sense to me that he's always had the same static power to break barriers, but now only because it's applicable does it work. It's only because Feifei has learned to... To, to accept love that it works. So, it still doesn't make sense to him as a character personally. It's immovable object, or immovable wall meets unstoppable object, you know? Chin's the unstoppable I mean, object, Feifei's the immovable wall. Sure. I still don't think that Chin, as a character, had any reason to really have this I, I can break through any barriers power in the first you, place. The one that he like, imagined, because he's just a kid? Yes. It seems really core to him, as his whole thing is, I can break through barriers. But, like, on a on a higher level, because, like, okay, as a kid in normal life, it makes entire sense that he would come up with this crazy power, right? Like, of yeah. course he is yeah. some sort of weird thing. I used to think that, like, I, I could find the rhythm to any song, and I thought that that was a cool superpower. <laughs> <laughs> like, man can tap to the beat. <laughs> exactly. But in movies, the expectation is that this superpower has some sort of higher level of meaning. Because that's what writing does. That's how you write good stories, is that you make these mundane things have a lot of purpose. And right now, the purpose to me feels very surface level. He can't break through barriers, you know, before. And then because of somebody else's development, he can suddenly break through a barrier. It doesn't feel like his character and his motivations, him breaking through these barriers, he never got better at doing it. He, There was no nuance into the way that he approached Feifei. It just always felt like he was the same person. And I get that that's the purpose of a static character, but what I'm saying is they could have made him a non-static character and have a better arc so that that feels more like a solid conclusion to what he's doing. Okay, sure, 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 sure. And I can, I can get behind that. I, I can get behind that. I feel like we should have seen more of chin we could have cut the rabbit stuff and get more chin development when he's in that chamber maybe we get a scene of him like learning how to not be so annoying so he can better break through the barriers or something right because i think i'm thinking of it like purely metaphorically you know like i i really don't care whether he can break through any physical walls or not like what i'm i'm saying is that chin if his thing and that we know him by is i can break through any barrier right yeah. I would at least expect him to have more of, like, a drive or some big ambition. Like, you sort of see this with his ping pong thing, but that's not really ambition. It's just sort of ego. He's like, I'm really good at ping pong. Yeah. Heck yeah. Like, he, he's he's never, he doesn't feel ambitious to me. He just feels spontaneous, which is different. So, sure, yeah. So when they're bringing up this whole he can conquer any obstacle sort of thing that they're trying to build for him, and he never learns how to conquer obstacles better, 
like why was he failing in the first place then on on a metaphorical level like why was he failing in the first place and then he succeeds later sure. oh it's because some other character starts to let him in that's not really ambition or succeeding yeah no yeah like, i agree with that i think that, the yeah, bar for him I, I think he we needed some more chin content if for that to work effectively it worked for me but i i definitely see your your problem with it and i think that's valid and i think that makes sense we're also already at like 55 minutes or something so does anyone else have something to say before we take it to the the spiel zone? Um, Should we have a transition for the spiel zone? Be like, welcome to the spiel zone. <laughs> to um, I just had one point, which I think it's more of an inference, like a cool little theory on my half. But I think the stork that Feifei keeps seeing at the pond is the reincarnation of her mother. Oh, I thought it was just like I thought it was just like oh, no, 100%. I thought it was Chaga, but that makes way more sense. I like that a lot better. Is there another scene in the movie in which her mother gives her or, or gives her the same sort of side eye look that the stork did at the end or the crane? Oh, that'd be um, good. What I got was the kind of feathers ruffling her hair because her mom always played with her hair. That's oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It. All right, yeah, that's yeah. I buy it. Seals the deal. Thank you for right. like. Charlie and I got <laughs> there was a lot of animosity failure. <laughs> <laughs> smackdown, baby. I know. Is Chin a good character or not? That is the is question. Is Chin a good character or not? No. Um speaking of characters, I don't have a segue. Welcome to the Spiel Zone, everybody. <laughs> uh it's been another excellent week of Socratic Cinema in sunny Southern California. Like we said at the beginning, thank you for everything. Just thank you for everything. I just, seriously, like, as much as we say it every single week, it's still going to hold true every single week. You guys are the best. You guys are great. Uh, with that being said, help us become more great by spreading the word about the podcast. If you liked today's episode, give us a like. Give us a comment if you're on YouTube. Uh, give us an Apple podcast review if you're on there. Follow us on Spotify. Uh, you know, all our major platforms. We're available everywhere. We want to make it easy for you to access us also be sure to share the podcast with your friends if you know someone who you think is interested in film or liked over the moon or maybe didn't like over the moon share it with them and say hmm thoughts what do you think about these three teenage dweebs and their stupid opinions on over the moon are they right <laughs> or not um, and yeah support us on patreon if you feel so inclined so that we can keep on churning out content like this for you guys and let us know in the comments any cool thoughts you have. Follow us on our social media also. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all at Socratic Cinema. Instagram is Socratic underscore cinema. Twitter is Cinema Socratic. And Twitch is Socratic Cinema as well. Anyways, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Socratic Cinema podcast. If you haven't listened to our Christmas video essay yet, Go do that too. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. See you tomorrow, guys. Or next week, I mean. Bye. Adios. <laughs> Adios. Adios. You are in <laughs> our outro right. Say it, Casey. Adios. Adios.